Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, also known as Peter Lindell, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season two, where we're learning from people pursuing No Place Left that are not getting paid by a ministry or church. Today I'm interviewing Kevin, who runs an Amazon business. Kevin talks a lot about the four fields in this episode. The Four Fields is a simple framework to pursue movements of disciples and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. If you're new to this concept, check out Season 1, Episode 3 for a full explanation of the Four Fields. Listen after the interview for how to leave a comment, ask a question, or jump in to pursue no place left yourself. What's been the best part of your week so far? It's probably a tie between kind of watching some of the baptism photos come in from some of the guys I'm coaching in Southeast Asia and just being psyched about that. Oh, or, okay, okay, no, it would be this, probably this. We identified relationships with uh, a list of UUPGs in a part of South Asia last week, and they're starting to see fruit among them. We were figuring out how to connect the gin mapper to building a heat map so we could see no place left in this particular state and so i was totally psyched about taking joel's gin mapper and like feeding it into this geographic system to see a heat map of where the holy spirit's working and so uh was just learning from from a really smart dude who who really makes a list of the uupgs for south asia and stewards that list. And so he was in my office here and, and I was learning from him and we were talking about how to build the gin mapper and all that to connect in uh, to that. So I, that was probably the highlight for my week. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't in the clouds. It was like, okay, we, here's a real situation where we've got people groups being reached. How can we use this technology to track it? And as a business guy, that's just like brings my two favorite worlds together, like you know, technology and reporting and tracking and then like, actually seeing um, multiplying movements reach lostness. So that was yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, that is really cool. I guess I'll let you pick, or maybe they go together. Either what's kind of your no place left story? How did you connect to that? And even the work you're doing now, or is the question, tell us that business background and when do they bleed into each other? Well, they do, bro. It's, um, it was tw- summer 2013, I was a consultant uh, working with several nonprofits and small businesses in the U.S., helping them with their marketing stuff. And I just was running uh, a young adults ministry at a traditional legacy church, you know, um, teaching through the Bible, running camps with another ministry in different states and seeing God do cool things as far as existing believers get deeper in their walk with God. And that was cool. Learned a lot from that, but read a book that many of you guys are probably familiar with called Radical by David Platt that made me, I'd say, feel a little dissatisfied with the status quo. It didn't give me handles, but I remember praying 2013 that the Lord would bring me a business that frees me to do something to do with disciple making. And at the same time, I felt like God was leading me to get more involved in my city. I grew up outside the city about 45 minutes. So I started connecting at the same time with other business focused ministries in the city. Atlanta, where I'm from, I'd say there's a there's probably more workplace ministries there than most cities that are saying, okay, we wanna reach people in the workplace. 
I got connected with a couple ministries that were doing that and realized that um, there's a lot going on, just not a lot of gospel proclamation was really happening. And so we get people in these little groups, but no one would ever really share the gospel. We form groups around leadership instead of the gospel. And then on the back end, the goal was to share the gospel, but no one ever really did. And so, so that's happening in, in one direction. At the same time, a partner of mine who I had tried starting a business with and it didn't work, I felt like I needed to steward that relationship. So I, I called him and said, hey, I, I want to move our website to a new server. Um, that was kind of my thing back then. I built a lot of websites. And he said, hey, dude, let me tell you what, what I'm into right now. I'm into selling stuff on Amazon. He's like, I think you would like this. <laughs> and he, he broke it down for me. This was pretty early in the Amazon um, fulfillment by Amazon game. And at this point, you could basically take anything that wasn't being fulfilled by Amazon and ship it into Amazon's warehousing network. And then it becomes Amazon Prime and started selling some parts online um, through Amazon. And <laughs> within six months, that was summer of 2013. Within six months, the Lord really, I think, just blessed it and saw enough income to, to let some of my clients go. And so doing that about 10 to 20 hours a week and then trying to figure out what it looks like to make disciples through the workplace in Atlanta. Not seeing a lot of fruit. I wouldn't say I was frustrated. I was just seeking you know, what's going on. And someone sent me a link to a podcast called movements.net. And that's why I'm so excited about your podcast and, and all the podcasts that God's multiplying, I think, through No Place Left is because that's how I found out mm. about all this. And someone was telling the story of, of T for T in, in China, uh, the Yin Kai story where from 2001 to 2011, well, 1.7 million were baptized through a multiplying house church network. And so I'm hearing about this and I go, Lord, I want to meet the guys that, <laughs> that God used to catalyze this. And the men, who are these men and women that God's doing this? And I, there was one guy with crew in Atlanta who was modeling a lot of it for me and showing me some pieces. And he mentioned a training to me in Houston, Texas with this guy named Steve Smith. And then Geekai was going to be there. And there was this guy named Fred who was going to talk about how to knock on doors. And, <laughs> and then there was this guy named Jeff from Booger Holler who was going to talk about seeing multiplying house churches in his backyard. And I was like, eh, I don't know that I had time to go. And then started thinking about it. I was like, well, this is what I really wanted to do was actually meet these guys. So went and Steve drew or had a PowerPoint of four fields. I was moved deeply because I'd never, we, I had seen the T for T stuff, but I had never, which was just a list of lessons really. Um, on how to disciple a new believer. But I'd never seen a diagram that illustrates so clearly what I see in the Word of God in the New Testament, which is that we're all called to enter, build relationships, connect with people, then share the gospel with them, then disciple anyone who believes, and gather them into new churches while raising up leaders who can do the same. When I saw that, I was like, wow, this is cool. I really want to try this out. And the next week, I was actually booked with one of my friends that got me into uh, bringing Bibles into closed countries in Southeast Asia. And there was a trip we had planned the next week. And I said, Steve, could I 
possibly train this. These are some pretty cool pastors that, you know, a lot of them have been in prison. I think they really have a vision to reach the northern part of their country. Would it be cool if I trained this next week? Expecting him to say there'd be some sort of long certification course I'd have to go through and and no, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a yes. And he goes, no, 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 you can. Yeah, here's my here's my thumb drive with everything on it. Why don't you just use this and 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 then he gave me the the number for a guy who I now work with closely, <laughs> who who's been laboring in the region for a long time, who gave me some lesson sets in the local language, probably. That week, I, I led the worst four fields training of all time. And yet it was still encouraging because these guys I had so much respect for were going, well, at the current rate, it would take us, I think it was going to take them about 75 years or more. It seems like it was more, I'm forgetting now, to, to reach their vision. But if they started multiplying, then it would only take them somewhere between five and 15 years. The crazy thing that that did for me is it just, it affirmed what I'd been trained in. And when I got back to Atlanta, someone challenged me just to start sharing the gospel more. Long story short, while running the business and while scaling the business locally, just started training and modeling what it looks like to make disciples and multiply churches throughout Atlanta. Did that for five years. You know, we saw God do some pretty cool things and we had a lot of problems too. I mean, it, I felt like, you know, whenever you see kingdom growth begin to happen, you've always got a barrier you bump into. And for us at first, it was just getting over the hump of getting people to share the gospel. Then it was getting over the hump of actually seeing people believe. And then it was, all right, let's get to baptism. And then it was, let's sustain disciples being made. Yeah, and so that's how I got involved in No Place Left. And the business also played a role in, in, in connecting me overseas, too. As much as you can share, just tell us what you're up to now. I think in my walk, and I think everyone's walk is, is different, was, was Acts 1-8. You know, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jerusalem for me was Northeast Georgia, Atlanta. You know, Judea was my was the state of Georgia and more or less even some of the southeast. And just that season there, focusing on running my business and just stewarding that was really what God used to ultimately draw me, call me, if you will, overseas. And the business played a unique role because I was sourcing products from China for my business actually in the same area where Ying saw that movement happen, that T for T movement. So every time I would go to source products, well, not every time, most of the time, I would go ahead and swing by one of those countries in Southeast Asia that had some relationships with and started training at the same time. So I'd do a business sourcing trip in conjunction with a training trip. And because I, I on-ramped with a missions organization that had some relationships there, and they asked me to train. It was kind of cool. They actually paid for me to come in and train and stuff because they're like, hey, we need, we need to train these guys because they, they're seeing some cool addition as a part of the short-term teams that we're sending in here. But we really want to train and coach them to start multiplying. And by God's grace, we found a couple really great partners in a couple countries in Southeast Asia. Um, and that was all doing what some folks are starting to call non-residential missions in RM, 
from my home city in the US. So having a team of teams at home that has been raised up through training and modeling and coaching, no place left, principles from the word of God and some practices and tools like you've gone through, I know earlier on on your podcast, a lot of that same stuff. And then bringing that and helping local leaders indigenize it. What I mean by that is they they take it through the process of modeling it with them, assisting it with them, watching it with them. They take it and they make it their own in their own culture and giving them the freedom to say, hey, the way I share three circles here, or maybe even three circles is the wrong tool for you to use. How, how is that going to work? And, and in what ways do you see connecting with lostness in your culture? Doing that locally in Atlanta and then overseas as a part of my business trips, God started to draw my heart to Asia. One of the guys who was mentoring me at the time challenged me to lead three intensives in Atlanta to really solidify the leadership team. So just going through the principles from the word of God for that are the basis for multiplication of disciples, churches, and leaders. And we started to see a couple missions organizations, um, a couple really strong legacy churches in the city, and more importantly, a team of bivocational leaders come together and actually a, a church formed in the heart of a city in a home with a bunch of the leaders across no place left in the city. That team got really strong as a part of doing and being church together. And everyone in that church went out and, and started a church, right? And so the training found a lot of the right leaders and then they, we, we formed a church, had, had some help from another network to come in and do some modeling for us. And that bivocational team that year, in 2018, we saw about a dozen churches start across the city. Well, here's the other piece. We had trained a thousand people in Atlanta that year in, in some form or another. Could have been just your basic gospel conversation or an intensive or you know, some sort of training on how to make disciples and plant churches. Thousand people trained, 12 church starts. Same thing in Cambodia though, trained a thousand and saw a hundred churches start. And so I, I believe I really do that reaching North America, reaching the United States, reaching the West is a missional calling. And I was content to stay and focus on that my whole life if needed. And I believe that people are called to that. And I think it's vital that we have those people. But something shifted in my heart at that point. And I started looking at the leaders in Atlanta and realizing they didn't need me anymore. This was all in a matter of two or three months. And I go, hey guys, I think, I'm leaning towards maybe basing in Asia and running my business from there and basically continuing to do what I'm doing, only being closer to the national partners that God's raised up. Well, what do you guys think? And the elders in our house church were like, that we had started, were like, hey, we affirm that. We'd love to send you out. How can we give financially uh, to cover costs? And, and, and a lot of the business guys in my network rallied as well, I, I chair a round table of Amazon sellers in Atlanta, and I have a couple of other really great um, business mentors, and they were like, what do you need? We'll, we'll give monthly to cover your travel budget. And, and I was like, oh, sweet, okay. <laughs> uh, I had been working with this really awesome missions organization, and, uh, and so I had a platform for people to give through. So I mobilized with essentially my personal funding coming from the business, but then my ministry and travel funding coming from support, if that made sense. I'd say as a single guy, 
it, it works fairly well. I can't say I'd recommend trying to run an e-commerce company and coach a full quiver of national partners at the same time as running a business if you have a family. And so if the Lord brings that for me in the future, I'm, I'm not sure what that balance looks like. And so I think I would advise people who have families against trying to do both as far as cross-cultural and running a business. Now, I think there are unique situations where it's possible. And I would say that relating to, say, leaders in Cambodia or here in the country where I'm based, and especially government authorities as a business owner, is super legit and easy. And so whenever someone asks me, what am I doing here? I have a really clear, really viable answer. And when they Google me, you know, they see that I, I speak at Amazon conferences. I do, you know, it, and it, it, so my, my story lines up. And I think that's just a gift. God gave me that business, I think, to move my heart towards moving overseas. Because I don't think I would have done it otherwise. Even today, my hands are open and I'm like, Lord, you know, if you want me to sell the business, I will. If you want me to keep the business, I will. If you want me to raise full-time support and live off of that, I will. I think I maybe see Paul going through different seasons of both in his ministry. So I think I, I'm trying to be surrendered. Now, I do, I do love being a business guy at heart, but I think the... I see a lot of guys throughout the New Testament laying down their businesses uh, for the sake of the kingdom. I think anyone, my counsel would be lay it before the Lord and seek Him. And What specific benefits would you say you saw uh, on the uh, U.S. side? Of basically, I like to ask it this way, of not working for a church or ministry. There's a whole slew of bivocational leaders that wanted to run with no place left because we were elevating that identity of, hey, having a job, running a business, and doing, and doing uh, disciple-making and church multiplication. What happened was we ended up with leaders in Atlanta who are there to stay a while, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so when I left, they're still running the play the same way. I think a lot of them, Lord willing, will end up overseas one day, but it, it'll be five to 10 years. And Lord willing, by then, they'll have other bivocational leaders raised up in their place. And so I'd say by being bivocational, we were, I felt, I always felt like we were moving slower in Atlanta than other cities who had a lot of full-time people. But I think sometimes it's wise to go slow to go fast because now a lot of the core leaders have not mobilized out. They're still there running hard. And that's been kind of cool to see. And I, and I would, I would say too, you know, you need full-time people to run a city strategy. I would say that I'm a pretty firm believer after having done it five years, just doing bivos. However, if you don't have a strong bivo core, then it's, it just doesn't sustain, or I think multiply in the long run. Mm -hmm. So what God did in 2018 is, yeah, he solidified the bivocational team, but then he also brought a missions organization on board completely Global Frontier Missions. I mean, they'd be a great organization for anyone in full-time ministry to, to glean from on how to do this in the States. And they had an army of full-time people who added a lot of man hours to the work that came alongside the Bivos, right? As a, in a more of a peer relationship. And so the Bivos are actually 
kind of stewarding strategy for Atlanta, but then this, this, this ministry has come alongside and they just have a great relationship. So I'm a both and guy, you know, I think you need some full-time people and you need some core leaders to our Bible. But I'd say that's the biggest piece is that God raised up Bible leaders through the work because I was also running a business. But then the second thing I'd say is that ministry leaders didn't see me as a threat. And so a lot of larger churches, other ministries, I could just say, hey, I'm a business guy and I, I love what you're doing. I love your vision. I want to serve it. And I'm not flashing some card for my own ministry. And, and I was on staff with a missions organization at the time for some accountability, but that wasn't the identity I had in the city. I was just a business guy with a no place left vision. And then if some guys would ask me, well, who's holding you accountable organizationally, then I could point to this organization. It was actually people just being aware of the work that God was doing in the city. And just the fact that we were just, you know, normal people and we, we weren't there to insert our brand or insert our ministry into theirs. Because there were other organizations who have and are trying to do the same thing as far as serving local churches with training, especially on how to mobilize missionaries and things like that. But they come in with more of a strong branded approach and their organization and their, their approach. I think when you come behind a local church and their vision and help them help serve them to make disciples and multiply churches or send missionaries, um, you can do that as a full-time missionary in your city. And I know guys who do that really well, but I felt like it was unique for me to be able to approach those leaders as a businessman because I was just not a threat at all to, to what, what they felt called to do. Yeah. So I keep thinking it almost sounds like basically for you and the whole network that not being professionals, so to speak, was like basically one of your greatest advantages. As it got rolling, it wasn't based on any professional, quote unquote, which is not the right word even to use, but you know what I mean? Um, it was yeah. based on people that were just living it out in their everyday lives. And that just set the pace for everybody at like, well, if they can do it, then we can do it. Is there just a story that comes to mind of what you've seen God do recently? The country that I went to right after that first training I received, you know, I was training some leaders Long story short, it's come full circle through a completely different set of relationships. Brought a leader from India who'd seen a movement. We cast vision and trained together in this country. And there's only one legal denomination in this country um, in the eyes of the government. And they decided to release authority for everyone to baptize in the churches. And they established a vision to multiply churches in every village and to reach every people group. And they have about 60 unengaged, unreached people groups in this country. All right, so in the southern part of this country, there's this guy named, I'll call him Gao, and Gao caught the vision for unreached people groups. And his people group was an unreached people group when he came to faith years ago. And when he received the training on how to enter to the gospel, this disciple and gather new churches, he looked at the list of unreached people groups in his area and said, oh, I know where these guys are. I know where these guys are. The S people group, I'll just call them the S people. He goes to that village and there's a family that received him into their home um, because the mother was sick with some sort of, I don't know what kind of disease it was, but he said basically she couldn't move. We didn't know, there might have been other believers among this group, but this this was a completely unreached, unengaged group, as far as we know. 
So they pray in the name of Jesus for her to be healed. And it wasn't right away, but with time, over the next week or two, she started to move again. Mm -hmm. And and then coming back again and sharing more stories from the New Testament with this family, they have all since repented and believed. Now, the cool thing is too, that he's trained them to share the gospel. And they're meeting as church in their home and they're facing a lot of persecution from their neighbors and friends and the local police. Mm -hmm. But despite that, well, really, I, I, I'm not even going to say despite that. God is using the persecution to strengthen their faith and to really force them to count the cost about who Jesus is and what it means for them as followers of Christ to go make disciples. And they have since gone and begun a relationship with another family in another village, as well as reaching several other families in their current village and seeing their house church grow with more believers and baptisms. Unreached people group story, there's a lot of that happening right now. The Holy Spirit's moving at a fast pace. I don't know if you ever remember as a kid, like maybe one of your parents took you to a, a candy shop and you're looking around and you're like, oh man, that one looks really tasty. Mm, I'm gonna try that one. Or, you know, and you're just like, whoa, this is awesome. I, that's how I feel, man. I'm just this business guy from Atlanta watching the Holy Spirit work at this incredibly fast pace. It's, it's pretty fun to watch. So I want to end with this. What encouragement would you give to, maybe you could even say yourself three years ago, but the, the person that at this point still feels called to the West, whether because of the, we've had so much church that people are immune to it, just what you shared about a thousand, a thousand people trained in both places and just the difference of how, um, how that bore out. Just what would you say as an encouragement? I would say that Jerusalem and Judea is the place to start. And that could be a lifetime calling. And it's, it's impacting the nations. Anything that you're doing locally and stewarding locally, you're going to bump into people from all over the world, especially if you're in a city. But there's a blessing in learning and practicing these things and putting the reps in on controllable things within your own people group. So like in Atlanta, a lot of the times we would just focus on, okay, well, we're gonna do what we can do, what our responsibility is to do, those controllables of prayer and sharing the gospel and training people to do the same. We're gonna learn to celebrate that. And then it's God's responsibility to bring people who say yes to Jesus people who get baptized, new churches, leaders from the harvest, right? If I was talking to myself five years ago, I would say focus on those controllables and get people more excited about them because that's obedience to Jesus. That is fruit in and of itself. And then trust God to, to do the rest. And then if you have time, not everyone can do this. I would highly, 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 highly encourage, make, come, come to Asia once a year. We have trainings happening every week over here. You know, hop into one, it'll make your training simpler, it'll expand your vision, and it'll be something you can bring back to your local work that, that, that pours gas on it. And, and, and here's the thing, leaders all over the world who are stewarding a vision to see no place left, they wanna work with people who are stewarding it in their 
home culture. They, they don't really want to get trained by people who haven't done it at home, in my view. And that's what they tell me, right? And so as someone who's practicing locally those controllables of prayer, training, and sharing the gospel, there's a wide open door for you to come and train. And even in some circumstances, as you grow and experience, coach on a short-term basis overseas. I'd say those would be the two things I would affirm. Focus on the controllables. And if you can, come train once or twice a year cross-culturally to to develop your training skills, coaching skills, and to just be encouraged by what God's doing globally. I really do believe that we're going to see a movement in North America soon. If you have any follow-up questions for me or Kevin, you can check out the show notes or use this number, 321-209-3899. Call or text your question and we'll get an answer back to you. If you're looking for training or coaching, you can use that same number, 321-209-3899, and text the word training or coaching to get connected. This is Peter Lindell, also known as Feeney. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing the gospel, making disciples, and reproducing leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. Hey, one more thing. If you've enjoyed the On The Road podcast, would you consider a financial gift to support it? Check out the show notes for a support link. I'm asking right now because if you give through that link on September 10th, 2020, which is actually the day this episode was first published, your gift will be matched by up to 20%. No pressure, but thanks for considering.